sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week. Returning is Ian Baldwin. We are talking about freelance work today. And Ian and I have sort of been wanting to have this conversation for a while because we both do different things in the world of freelancing. But before we dive in, Ian, how are you doing today? Good. Really excited to talk about this. Something I've been doing for a while now. And I think Hopefully this conversation can help other people who are either just starting as freelancers or wanting to keep freelancing and hopefully they avoid some of the mistakes I've made. So, and you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And for me, this is something that started more recently. And I don't want to say it was out of necessity because I'm doing things that I want to be doing, but it was more so I was like, okay, I think I can help some bands out and, you know, do things cheaper than some other places would do them for bands because I sort of, I don't want to say have more flexibility right now because I really sort of desperately need a day job at this point. So, you know, freelance is by no means a full-time job for me. And I know it isn't for you as well. You still have another job that you go to, but your job is flexible enough to give you that extra time you need to take on these projects. So Mm -hmm. why don't we go ahead and dive in to what made us decide to try freelance work? Like I was saying, it wasn't a necessity for me. It was more something I just wanted to do. And it started really with freelance PR for me, I want to say last June or so when you referred your friend Nathan to me and we worked together on his Ancestors Index release. Yeah. And something I've found with freelancing too, it's great to, one, if you have a network of freelancers that you know already, you can refer them work and usually in turn, they're going to refer you work. So like if a band that I'm working with on an album, album artwork is like, hey, well, we're wanting to like get some PR done for this. Usually I'm going to send them to you first because I know that that's what you're wanting to specialize in and you have the the time right now. Right. And I absolutely appreciate that because we're going to talk about this a a little later, but it's not quite as easy as one would hope to find people who actually want to pay you for your work. And, you know, for me... I enjoy doing PR and I don't mind doing it for, you know, rates that would possibly make PR firms cringe because they're so Mm -hmm. low. But, you know, I feel like for where I'm at right now and the contact base that I have, it's not a huge contact base, but I have, you know, started making more relationships with writers and friends at websites. And it helps that I also write, which is another thing that, I started doing, and I wouldn't really say I do that too much on a freelance basis because for the most part, I only have one website paying me for my writing, and Mm -hmm. that is sort of more something I just happen to fall into because I was writing for some other websites on that network, and I just came across a paid contributor position. So, you know, they pay on a more regular basis than I would say most freelance work does. And I think Mm -hmm. that's in part because they're owned by Time Inc. 
And so I feel like a company that big is going to be a little more on top of things, especially in, you know, like the accounting and payroll departments. But (laughs) what made you decide to give freelance work a try? I know you've been doing it longer than I have, but when did you really sort of say to yourself, hey, this is something I can do on the side while I'm doing, you know, these other jobs that might not be quite what you want to do? Sure. Um, So for me, I mean, it's never really been about the money, but that's almost been to a fault because I have always had like a part-time or full-time job. Right. So really this next, this coming year, um, I'm really trying to focus on overlapping that to where I am making enough money with freelancing so I can either quit the job I'm at now um, or just take on less hours there. Because I mean, the benefits of working somewhere like a corporation or a bigger agency is they usually can provide health insurance. Um, They take taxes out ahead of time. So you're not having to worry about, you know, paying taxes on the the money you're making. Um, So there's definitely a lot of benefits to working for those bigger corporations. But I would love to get to the point to where um, freelancing is my full-time gig. Um, Because it's just like the freedom that you have with it um, is really beneficial. And I feel like you can help more people by working with the bands or clients that you are passionate about, like you want to see them succeed. You want to see them go further. So anytime I've worked with a band, um, it's usually because I really enjoy their music and I want to see them grow and get better. Yeah. So I think we're both on the same page with really just wanting to help bands out, but still wanting to get paid at least something for Mm -hmm. our work. And that sort of rolls into what it is we actually do for freelance work. I already mentioned that, you know, I get paid by one website, Hidden Remote, for writing, and they basically pay that it's a dollar per a thousand page views, which isn't, you know, a huge rate or anything like that. But the website does do a good job of pushing out pieces on social media and promoting every writer and the work they do. So, you know, it's one of those things where because I was doing so much writing for free, and I still am, I'm sort of just happy to be getting paid for any writing that I do at all. And Mm -hmm. with the way they have it set up, there are two site co-experts, they call them, but really they're just the editors for the website and they sort of, you know, keep things on a schedule and get things moving along day to day and that sort of thing. And all I have to do is, you know, they have a Slack group set up. So I just message one or both of the editors, run my idea past them. If no one else is working on a similar idea, then I basically have the go ahead to do it. So it's not like, you know, they are assigning you things you don't necessarily want to write about. You still have a ton of freedom on what you get to write about. And I think that makes it a much better freelancing experience. And what they do is they just pay you once a month, basically. So it's like I said, it's pretty consistent. And I think that's largely in part because they're owned by Time Inc. And Mm -hmm. it's the fan-sided network of sites. So, you know, they have, (laughs) I don't even know how many sites they have. It's like they have a site for every NBA, NFL, NHL team. They have sites for soccer teams. They have entertainment Mm -hmm. sites. It's a ton of websites. So the fact that they even have things that put together is impressive to me. And then I have the freelance publicity that I've been doing. And 
it wasn't really new to me because I had started my record label while I was at Drexel. So I was doing publicity for those bands. So it's really more I just expanded it out to bands outside of my record label. So it mm-hmm. wasn't really a new experience work wise, but it was a new experience trying to find bands that were willing to sort of, you know, believe in what I was doing enough to want to pay me for it. Right. And um, I mean, that's where I think referrals play a big part because one, anytime anyone's referred somebody like a band to me, it's because like, and that those bands will come to me because they trust the person that referred me. Right. So it's like, I've never met you in person, but I have a, we've built rapport up over the years from podcasting and uh, being, you know, in different communities online that I feel comfortable referring a band to because I know you're going to get the work done. You're going to do it like to the best of your ability and you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And I don't know if I've necessarily referred anyone to you that you did end up working with. I know I did refer someone I was working with to you, but I don't Mm -hmm. think, you know, it ended up working out or I don't know if he even ever actually emailed you. It was one of those things where, you know, the person I sent your way, he wasn't really sure when things were going to be happening for his band and everything, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that's happened to me a couple of times now. Like I was supposed to be working with a few guys on a separate record label and help them sort of get the digital stuff going, social media and everything like that. And this was, in 2015 and it still hasn't really started yet so it's just one Mm -hmm. of those things it's like you know I'm still willing to help them whenever they are ready to do it because you know it's something one I did commit to I was like hey yes I can help you with this and you know one of the guys is in Morrissey's band so he performs Mm -hmm. live with Morrissey so you know he's a busy guy so it's not like I was upset by any means that things didn't get going when we thought they were going to because sometimes you know things like that just happen and with freelance work it's one of those things where it can definitely be hit or miss and because you have so many more things I would say that you do on a freelance basis Mm -hmm. I feel like I wouldn't say it's easier for you but you sort of have more projects you can probably flow between so you have you know your graphic design and then you do full-on branding projects and websites Mm -hmm. so you have you know similar tasks but there's still a good variety there for you what didn't you say sure um so one thing I'm trying to do this like this past year I really positioned myself as someone who We'll do album artwork for a band, um, but I also have all these other skills that I'm definitely able to, like, build a website or do branding or do even photography, but I don't necessarily put all that work on my website. It's more listed as, like, these are skills that I have, and if you would like to hire me for these as well, it those, those things really pair nicely with album artwork because usually when a band's putting out an album, they're going to want to do a revamp of their website they might even want a new logo. They need new promos. Like, I feel like it all, like, just bundles together really well. Um, so I think something that's going to benefit me this coming year will be having almost, like, bundles that I can say, hey, if if this is within your budget and you can afford it, these are all the things I can do for you so you don't have to go to five different people um, to accomplish and, you know, fulfill these goals that you have as a band. Yeah, and that's definitely a smart idea. I think, you know... It's- Sometimes with label bands, I will sort of do a bit more than just p 
PR for the bands because even mm-hmm. though my label is just a digital label and we don't really do too much in the way of print marketing or you know do, doing advertising because it's it's one of those things where Facebook is good if you can sort of get the results you're looking for out of it but if you are constantly having to pay for ads and I'm not saying bands shouldn't pay for ads on Facebook or Twitter or something like that but mm-hmm. it feels like for a lot of brands that I've been following like Buffer or Hootsuite these ones that are really ingrained in social media they have daily ad budgets and mm-hmm. that's something where you know as freelancers, you and I probably can't afford to have a $40 a day ad budget or something <laughs> no. like that. And, you know, I think brands do understand that not everyone can afford to do that. And it's just one of those things where you have to sort of figure out what works best for you. And the fact that you are able to offer multiple services that will help not only you, but a band figure out, you know, what it is exactly they want to do. It's like, do we want to have all of this stuff be, you know, a lot more uniform and have sort of, I I wouldn't even say a style guide necessarily, because that's more a thing companies use, but it's not a bad idea for a band to consider that and sort of have their branding follow some sort of style guide and whether they have it written down or whether they just sort of know what kind of branding they want to go with. I think that's mm-hmm. something that's helpful because, since you are only one person doing all of these things, it's much easier to keep that uniform. So, you know, now you're getting me thinking on whether I should, you know, offer social media services to bands and, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of more than just simply publicity and maybe more so a whole, I wouldn't say a whole digital marketing thing, but something along those lines. So, you know, I'll probably be doing some brainstorming after this now. Yeah, um, I was going to say, too, the conference I just went to, I went to a Sean West conference in Austin, Texas, and they had a few speakers talking about um, marketing online, uh, Facebook marketing specifically, Um, and there's some stuff I'll share with you. I took some notes about how to effectively, uh, one, target people on Facebook that's already on your mailing list or also have visited your website. So just a quick tidbit, all you need to do is put uh, what's called a Facebook pixel within the header of your website, and that'll start gathering data about who's visiting your website and then target them on Facebook so that when you do pay for an ad, that ad shows up in their news feed. So it's like super beneficial. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but that's definitely a good idea, you know, like gearing more towards that because PR is definitely something I feel like businesses and artists still need but like social media is where all their everyone's discovering new new bands yeah and with the way i started running hi-fi noise i was explaining to publicists and i even did a little post on it back in i want to say january or february about you know why i would no longer be doing news posts on the website and i would just be posting to social media and tagging the bands when i can Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's something that a lot of bands can do too they can you know i wouldn't say necessarily hit up publications through social media because a lot of publications do still prefer you email them since that's you know more professional and everything and that's sort of where a publicist really comes in and you know i've had 
bands I've worked with either on the label or on a freelance basis. And I tell them, I'm like, if you guys have any sites or publications you want me to hit up because, you know, they're local or something I'm not aware of, then, you know, Mm -hmm. definitely let me know. And if you already have a connection there, maybe just send an intro email so they know that, you know, I'm handling publicity for the band and everything. Mm -hmm. So you can definitely still work together with your clients too. But, you know, I want to move on because I feel like we could talk about a lot of these things much longer (laughs) than we probably will today for, you know, the sake of the listeners. But why don't we go ahead and talk about what goes into running a freelance business? Because I would say you definitely have things set up more business-like than I do because, you know, the thing is you have to make over a certain amount of money for it to even be, you know, considered taxable. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, if someone paid me $50 for something and that was all I made on freelancing for the year, you know, the government isn't going to tax me for $50 worth of work. And mm-hmm. I believe the amount is $600. I tend to bug my mom with a bunch of questions about this because she's done accounting before and she does payroll now. So she's yeah. sort of knows like a lot more along those lines than I do. And it's really helpful to be able to just ask her that. But you do invoicing, whereas I do more of, I wouldn't call it a handshake deal because I don't actually meet my clients in person (laughs) most of the time, but it's like, Hey, you know, I know you guys might not have the money to pay me all up front. So I'll do, you know, like send me half on PayPal to start Mm -hmm. and send me half later, which I know is something you tend to lean towards to half up front, half when, you know, business is done and everything. But do you send a single invoice with two due dates or do you send two separate invoices in that case? Um, so the way I'm set up at the moment is I'm using a service called Wave Apps and Wave Apps is great for when you can link your bank account to it. So when the if a band decides to or a client, they can pay me via the invoice. So there's like a little button they can press and pay me with a debit card or credit card okay. uh, on that website or they can choose to pay through PayPal and I'll just mark on the invoice how they paid it. Or if they want to pay me in cash, like if they're local, I can be like, hey, this person gave me cash. Send them an updated invoice. Um, and then the the rest of the amount will still be there saying that they still owe this amount of money. Um, so, yeah, I, I usually just send one and then I'll send an updated invoice when they've made a payment. Um, because I don't like messing with, like, I don't want to make my own invoice in, like, uh, Illustrator or Photoshop. or Like, that's just silly (laughs) it's or like even pages it's just much easier to do it through a service and i know paypal has become a lot more friendly to businesses where you can invoice via paypal now which is nice yeah and i've honestly only sent one invoice for any of the freelance stuff i've done and it's for something that actually isn't out quite yet it's a print article i did for substream magazine so it'll be Mm -hmm. in the actual magazine and you know, while they don't pay for the website writing, they do pay for anyone who contributes to the actual magazine. So I had to send a quick invoice for that. And my editor just, you know, sent me their template and was like, here you go. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to change this to my info. And it, I believe it was done in Excel. Mm -hmm. So it was fairly easy to edit because, you know, you just have the cells and everything. And I don't know if I've seen invoices done in Excel before, because usually it's, you know, pages or a Word doc 
or something like that. So mm-hmm. it, w- it was definitely interesting. But if you aren't sending out too many, I probably, you know, would just go something like that or pages like you said, because for you, a service probably makes more sense because you are invoicing more frequently and you're working mm-hmm. with I want I definitely want to say more clients than I am right now. I just have a few and it's like two are on the horizon. It's not like I'm actively working with them right now. It's just that I mm-hmm. know I am going to work with them once the music is done and everything. So for someone who is invoicing multiple times a month or even, you know, a couple times a week or something like that, a service definitely makes sense and I know they have tons of different services into it is a big service in regards to pretty much any money app you can or money related thing you need to do you know i think intuit does a lot of payroll based stuff invoicing and they have tons of apps within the company but why don't we go ahead and move on to how we you know write up proposals and everything like that i think this is mm-hmm. probably something you might do more than i do because what i've been doing is you know, I've been really just sort of explaining up front to people. It's like, hey, I'm still fairly new at this. So here's sort of the sites you can expect me to email and hit up. And here's, you know, where I have contacts and that sort of thing. And I wouldn't really call it a proposal. It's more me just being like, well, here's sort of what I have done already. And if that is something that interests you, let me know. And then from there, I'll go into making a press timeline for them and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I'm, I mean, really, and I was going to mention with the invoicing apps, a lot of them are free um, up front. And if there's, there's additional services they offer, like maybe doing your taxes for you, that type of thing. So I'm sure we can definitely put some links in the notes on invoicing apps to check out. Um, for proposals right now, I usually don't make a detailed proposal if the works like it's a if it's a one off, like if it's like one album piece or like one uh, cover art. It's usually just, hey, I'm going to invoice you um, and it, within the invoice, it's going to say what I'm doing for you. So the proposals I will do, it's if it's if it's more than one product or service, it will outline, hey, this is what you're hiring me for. This is like the timeline that will we'll go through. This is like when I'll expect to be paid the first half payment. This is when I'll expect to be paid at the end. And we'll make adjustments from there because it's like, if you know anything about freelancing, it's like deadlines don't, you don't always stick to the deadline because something might come up in someone's personal life. Someone, something might come up in your life that you just have to make the adjustment. But in a proposal usually isn't for me, like more than two or three pages max. Yeah. And like I said, mine's fairly short because I'm a lot newer to this than you are. And Mm -hmm. with as many different things as you offer, if you are doing more than one thing for a band, it does make sense to have a longer proposal with examples of, you know, like, here's a website I did, here's album artwork I've done and that sort of thing. And especially with yours being a lot more visual than mine is sure I can take screenshots of placements and stuff like that but for the Mm -hmm. most part just providing people with links to click on so they can go read a full article instead of just you know a partial screenshot of one that's something that's a lot easier and I have a separate little text file and I just kept it you know nice and plain I didn't do a word doc or anything like that I was like all right everyone should be able to open a text file (laughs) so I'll just save that to 
I'll just save that to Dropbox. And, you know, I try to remember to update it when I can, but because of the fact that I have had a few more freelance clients now, I don't want to have something where there's like, you know, 50 links in there because I have stuff from the label bands, freelance clients and that sort of thing. So it can get a little crowded if you're just doing links to everything. So I probably mm-hmm. have to go through and be a little bit more selective with, you know, what placements I want to show people. And, you know, another thing about doing freelance work is obviously the relationships you have with your your clients. But for me, I have sort of two parts to that because not only do I have to, you know, make relationships with clients, but I also have to have relationships with writers and publications in order to get the work done for my clients. So it's a little different in that aspect because for you, it's like, a client hires you and you are mostly doing the work on your own and interacting with just the client, right? Right. I mean, so I can just, if we're still on the subject of proposals, I can kind of tell you what mine includes really quick. Okay. Because really this is a good thing for, I mean, it's good to include maybe past work, especially if they've never worked with you before, just so they have a couple links to go to. Um, but really like, so this was a design proposal I did for Ancestors Index um, so I listed, like, the project goal, like, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I listed my creative strategy and process. So just an overview of, like, this is kind of, like, what we're planning on doing as far as, like, the front of the cover, the back of the cover. Like, this is what we want it to look like um, and what it's going to take to make that happen. So, like, for his last album, we went and took photos downtown of a woman, like, in a cityscape. I was like, okay, we need to go on site with a camera, you know, to make this actually happen. Um, and then I listed the financial investment. So how much he'd be paying up front and then what he'd be paying at the end. Um, I listed the terms like, Hey, this is like, we're going into an agreement to, you know, like we're collaborating together. And this is like, at the end was the acceptance of like his signature. Like he could sign saying we agreed to like these terms and conditions for the project. And then uh, contact information at the end. So like his contact info and my contact info, if he had like any questions. Yeah. And in a way, proposals can also be a little like doing contracts too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have someone sign a proposal or anything like that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I have actual contracts for my record label and I'm actually eventually going to rethink the one I have because the one I have it's very like industry standard but what I do Mm -hmm. for the bands isn't necessarily industry standard so there was I was recently you know talking with the band and making some changes and that sort of just triggered me realizing you know all right you know maybe I'm not ready to work with a band of that caliber and Mm -hmm. so maybe I should just rethink my contract altogether so I didn't end up working with the band and I was, you know, I definitely tried to be upfront with them about what I could afford to do and what I couldn't. And it Mm -hmm. seemed like, you know, they maybe needed a label that was a step above what I can do for them right now. And, you know, that's something that happens where you'll be in the middle of talking to a potential client and, you know, something will just click and you'll realize, okay, you know, maybe this isn't going to be the perfect fit. And, Obviously, with the label, that's not necessarily freelance work, but I feel like you can sort of come across the 
same things. Like I had a PR client and she wasn't in a genre that I typically pitch for. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she had paid me half up front and I was sort of pitching to places I didn't necessarily know people at. So it was a lot of info at general emails and that sort of thing. So, (laughs) you know, it's very hard to get a response that way. So I, you know, went back to her and I told her, I was like, you know, don't pay me the second half of the payment because I don't think I will be able to get you much more than what I was able to scrounge up for. And I think it might have only been, you know, like an interview and a news post or two, if that. And I do try to be really upfront with PR clients and be like, you know, I can't guarantee you results for something like this because it's Mm -hmm. not me giving them a finished product. It's me offering more of a service. I'm not offering them, you know, like with you, you are offering them a design. So they are expecting to have you send them something at the end. And for me, it's like, you know, I can do all of the work and, you know, put as much effort in as I can and still not necessarily get the results we're hoping for. So I'm definitely upfront about that too. And I think that helps when you are trying to build these relationships with clients because, you know, they want someone who's just going to tell them up front what they can or cannot do. Right. And that's definitely like the purpose of a proposal. And then once you guys come to that agreement, that's when a contract is like necessary. And that's something I'm, I'm actually, I don't have a lot of experience with contracts. Um, so that's usually why at the end of the proposal, I just say like, Hey, if this sounds good to you, let's move forward. But I guess the official way to do it <laughs> would be once they agree to the proposal, writing up the contract. So it's like its own separate document. But I feel like, especially for bands, they're not necessarily used to that. They're not, yeah. you know, like, especially if they're just starting out. I mean, when I was in my first band, I was like, I didn't even like, I couldn't even like really wrap my head around that. Like, why would you even like go through all this paperwork just to do like album artwork? You know what I mean? So I feel like that separates like, the local band from like the national touring band or like bands that are trying to get to that level. Yeah. And when I had first started the label, I had one of the first bands I was working with and they didn't want to sign a contract necessarily, Mm -hmm. even though it was more for the purposes of my senior project and, you know, trying to do things the way an actual label would. Mm -hmm. And so what we ended up doing was we wrote up a deal memo instead. I had a friend who was, you know, interested in going into entertainment law and stuff like that, write it up because, you know, she was taking more of the law classes that were offered in regards to the music industry than I was. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, if you want to do this for me, that would be awesome. So she had her title as, you know, like senior director of contracts during my senior project. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where not everyone is going to want to sign a contract either. And for instance, the label release that I'm working on now, it'll probably be out by the time everyone hears this podcast. Yes, it will Mm -hmm. definitely be out by the time everyone hears this podcast. But Elephant Jake is working on a split with two other bands. Mm -hmm. And that's actually just now out on Friday the 13th. So it's one of those things where 
because it was a split, one, I wasn't entirely sure how to write up that contract, if I should just write one for all three bands or write one for each band and just be like, hey, I'm releasing two of your songs on the split. But, you know, I was sort of just like, if you guys are fine with these terms, I'll email them to you. If you have any questions, you can email me back about them. And mm -hmm. if no one has any objections, we'll just move forward. So sometimes you don't always necessarily need a written contract that's you know this long legal document that let's be honest most bands do not want to read <laughs> so exactly yeah you know i'm fine also doing something like that and because i had worked with elephant jake on their full length already you know they knew that i would pay them as money came in for the sales the streams and everything like that you know they knew i wasn't going to just be like eh, i'll just kind of pay you when i get around to it so i think you know that's another way to build good relationships with mm -hmm. the people you're working with it's just like tell them you know hey i use this service for streaming and for digital sales through itunes and whatnot so because they don't pay me until this date and they don't pay out until you hit this minimum amount of money this is when i will probably be able to pay you but you know until we earn that minimum amount i can't give you an exact date but i can tell you i'll pay you within a week of me receiving the money or something like that so you're not giving them necessarily exact dates but you you're giving them a time frame and if you stick to that they'll be more likely to want to work with you again right and i mean that's the great thing about those relationships is once you've built up that like the first initial either release or projects you've done together it's a lot more like a friendship and you're like you know what to expect they know what to expect it's a lot less formal you know yeah which makes it fun yeah and do you want to go ahead and move on to how we actually get clients since we've been talking about clients so much already and haven't dug into that yet <laughs> yeah absolutely so i know both of us like we mentioned get referrals and a few of mine have come from you, like I'll be working with Nathan again on the next Ancestors Ancestors Index release because he mm -hmm. was happy with what we were able to accomplish with his last release. And I know you've mentioned some other bands to me and because you work with bands on a more regular basis than I do, I mm -hmm. think, you know, that's something that's really helpful when you have friends who are working with these bands that are sort of at the same level all around as the rest of us who are in the freelancing business. And I think both of us also use Chorus FM quite a bit and the forums to sort of talk to people, virtually meet new people, because like you said, you and I haven't met in person, but we've been talking, texting, long enough podcasting to sort of have a really good idea of what we can expect out of each other when we refer people to, you know, you for graphic design, me for PR work and whatnot. Yeah. No, I mean, that for me, it's been um, definitely going to a lot of shows, um, just being playing in bands for like a really long time, like almost a decade now. So it's a lot of people knew me from before because I had been playing in bands. And then when I was like, getting more into freelancing and doing design work, it was like, okay, well, I already know, you know, Ian from the shows. So it's like, we already had that relationship and it makes it easier to like, for people want to work to want to want to work with you. Um, but I've also done things like I've written case studies, I'm trying to do more case studies on the previous work I've done. Because I feel like that for someone who doesn't know you, they can read over the work you have done and like, 
the success you had with it and they can kind of see themselves in that case study and want to work with you that way. Yeah, and that's something I was actually thinking about more, not necessarily in regards to publicity, but sort of, you know, you mentioned in the show notes on your blog and sites like Medium, which it seems like a lot of companies are utilizing Medium as their blogging platform because they either don't have the infrastructure to put a blogging platform on their own website and they can sort of create this relationship with Medium that allows them to have their branding transferred over to Medium and everything like that. And while you and I are probably not at that level, like we don't have that kind of sway with Medium, Mm -hmm. it's still something I've been considering doing, like even in regards to podcasting, which even though I do have sponsors that I use every once in a while, I use... I have those through a program called Influencer Bridge. So I don't get paid unless people click on the links and buy whatever the sponsor is offering and, you know, use the podcast specific link. So I haven't really made much money at all off of that because it's sort of you just have to hit someone at the right moment with that information and have it be something they want at that time. And I was recently thinking about with Medium, maybe just writing about podcasting and, Mm -hmm. you know, going into how you can get a setup that it won't be, you know, an elite setup, but it'll be good enough to start podcasting. And I know a lot of tech websites have done like the, you know, start podcasting for under under $100, but a lot of them will go more into the gear and not how to get the podcast set up. Like, you know, you have a blue snowball microphone and that's one, that and the Yeti are two microphones that a lot of people start out with. And then, you know, it's like, yes, you can tell someone what gear to buy, but that doesn't necessarily tell them how to start a podcast or, you know, how to get their podcast on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher and things like that. So, you know, I've been running through some ideas and I think, you know, instead of posting those on my website where I feel like it wouldn't entirely fit, I think something like that would be better for Medium and how I'm seeing people and brands use Medium. Yeah, it definitely. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to really start with publishing a podcast, <laughs> but that could be a good way for people to find you and maybe like if they're interested in getting into podcasting either for their their business or their brand or just like just to have fun with it, they'll find out the other things that you do other than just podcasting. So that's like one entry point, I feel like, for someone to discover you. Yeah, definitely. And I've even helped out Marvel with a podcasting question they had on Mm -hmm. Twitter because people were wanting them to sort of put in timestamps so that they could jump around in the podcast because the Mm -hmm. This Week in Marvel podcast has very, you know, uniform sections that they sort of hit every week. So they'll start off the podcast with talking about the comics that were released that week. But if, you know, someone like me uses Marvel Unlimited to read the comics six months later, I don't really want the comics spoiled for me. So I you know, will typically jump ahead to the TV and movie news, and then they will do a Marvel Unlimited reading club every few Mm -hmm. weeks or so, or once a month, I think it might be at this point. And so they have these different sections that they hit on pretty much every podcast, or at least regularly enough to 
where people will sort of want to just jump to those specific things and, you know, know just about the TV shows, hear the questions and comments and that sort of thing. So, you know, I DM'd one of the guys at Marvel and ended up sending them an email. And I was like, hey, here's two different ways you can do this. And, you know, it wasn't something I got paid for, but I feel like it was something that could potentially turn into an opportunity down the line and whether that be with Marvel or maybe just consulting on things in general, like you mentioned, consulting is something a lot of people will do on a freelance basis. But, you know, I wasn't going to be like, hey, can you pay me for sending you an email? (laughs) You know, because it wasn't something that really took a lot of work. Like, I don't even think it took me half an hour to take some screenshots and email them to them. Like it wasn't, you know, a long project and I offered to help them with it. It wasn't like, you know, they were like, hey, we'll hire someone to do this. It was more of, you know, a curiosity on how to do it. Yeah. And I mean, you were offering them some free value that they're going to remember who you are if they ever come across your name again, or if they ever, I don't know, like what their podcast looks like, but if they ever need to hire somebody in the future for that, you know, that'd be really cool. Yeah, and they have two podcasts. So they have one that I believe is more West Coast based because it's some of the women who work, I want to say, at the Burbank office, but I'm not entirely sure on that. Like, I don't know where everyone in Marvel works because mm-hmm. they have, you know, the TV studios and everything are out here in California. And then the comic book office is over in New York. So I think the podcast definitely goes back and forth between here and there. But it's definitely one of those things where, you know, I am happy to help people if they have, you know, just a single question like that. But if they wanted me to do something like, hey, can you help us get our podcast off the ground and, you know, set it up and all this, that's definitely something that would be more along the lines of consulting, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. But Getting clients is definitely something sometimes you have to get lucky and sometimes it's just, you know, you have to already have these relationships with people in a different way. Like, you know, I've never done publicity for you because it's not something you need, but you know (laughs) that you can refer bands to me for that. So it's just one of those things where you have to sort of not necessarily have a huge network of people, but having people who work in the same area as you do but not necessarily do the same thing as you do Mm -hmm. is helpful yeah one i'm just getting ideas as we're talking like i think another good way to get clients would be podcasting in general like i've thought about starting my own podcast for here and see to really talk about what i do um and just give people free advice or value via a podcast like what they could be doing when they can't afford to pay somebody right you know to either grow their audience or, um, you know, do things themselves. But it's, I don't know, something I'm thinking about. And you never know, I might need your PR services once I get to that point of wanting to to reach like a bigger audience. So yeah, and I actually haven't done PR really in a sense for either of the podcasts. It's been more organic growth with those. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I have Jason Tate from Chorus on, he'll post about the episodes that he's on. And I think that's something that really helps get people looking into other episodes or even going back to previous episodes Jason was on if they didn't happen to either be a part of 
the chorus forms or following chorus at that specific time. And Mm -hmm. I have a welcome to geekdom thread now on the chorus forums, which it's still mostly just me posting about the new episodes each week. And I'll still go post them if there's a relevant thread like the leftovers was this week's episode and, Mm -hmm. you know, the one that is going up before this or is up before this one is actually one with Jason by chance and it's on a couple of different Batman movies so you know there are definitely places like the movie thread where I can post that and then what I'm trying to do is really sort of get people wanting to discuss the podcast much in the way that Jason has the encore discussion thread for his podcast and that's way more active because you know he's been podcasting longer than I have and with his website and everything, he's really built up a community there. So it makes sense that his podcast does have a lot more discussion surrounding it because of how it ties in with his website and everything like that. But it's just one of those things where you definitely have to try a lot of different ways to get people's attention and see what really works for you. And I actually did have someone recently contact me about PR because he was like, hey, I heard you talking about this on Misaligned and Mm -hmm. I wanted to see if, you know, my music is something you'd want to work on. And it was so that worked out nicely. But why don't we go ahead and get to some of the upsides and downsides? We have touched on a lot of these things throughout already. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of we'll just be rounding them up here. And, you know, for me right now, not having a day job I don't really have too many downsides to freelance work because it's not like I'm working around any sort of schedule. But one of your main points is that you get to make up your own schedule, set the rules and that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. for you, how is it that you are working around your day job at the Apple store? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, working at Apple... It does give me a lot of flexibility since I'm part-time there. Um, but at the same time, week to week, it's not the same. Right. So that does make it a little hard. But, um, I mean, what I'm wanting to do uh, soon, like once the holiday season's over, you know, that's coming up really quick, <laughs> surprisingly, is um, give them a set availability so I might have three days off in a row that I can really focus on my freelance work and growing my business because... I feel like when you're all over the place, you don't really accomplish as much. And people, like, I'm married, so, like, when you're married and you're living together, it's, like, you have to schedule things around, like, your wife as well. And it's, like, really hard, to, like, for her to know when I'm going to be working on something and when for, for me to know when she's working on something, like, either school-related or, um, you know, hanging out with friends. So it's, like, I feel like the scheduling part's a huge piece of it. Like, that can definitely be a downside if you let it take control of your life, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And for me, obviously, it has been a struggle to find a day job. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I did have a day job where it was, you know, a set eight to 430, I guess you could say, because that was I I would go in early, basically, so that I wasn't there Mm -hmm. until five o'clock. And that would sort of give me a little extra time because I knew I would be up early enough in the morning anyway, to just get there at eight instead of 830. So Mm -hmm. it was nice that I did have, you know, sort of that half hour of flexibility. But it was just one of those things where I found myself wanting to you know, get back to my apartment, make dinner or whatever. And then, you know, I sort of just wanted to 
sit around and not really <laughs> be staring at a computer screen because I was on the computer all day at work. And right. yes, now that I don't have that job, I still do stare at a computer screen a lot because, you know, of applying to jobs, doing the freelance writing, doing the PR and everything like that. Most of that stuff is mm -hmm. all done on my computer. And, you know, I obviously have a lot more time for things like reading books and trying to work on these new skills. Like, you know, I've been sort of sending some design stuff your way because I feel like mm -hmm. it seems like now that anytime you apply to a social media job, they also want you to be a graphic designer. So it's like these <laughs> job titles keep getting mashed together. And it's like they want you to do what would take three or four people before at, you know, a regular company. And they want one person to be able to do all of these things. So mm -hmm. for me, it's sort of been that struggle where, you know, I'll hit nine out of 10 requirements or something like that. And it's like the last one is like, Adobe Illustrator. And I'm like, well, I know what it is, but I don't know if I can, you know, rattle off everything you can do with Adobe Illustrator and actually, you know, implement that correctly in a design mm -hmm. off the top of my head. So it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, social media jobs are looking for these sorts of things and writing jobs or are looking for not just, you know, like entertainment writing, which is what I do mostly. So that's why I was mentioning, you know, writing about podcasting on Medium and sort of stuff that's more copywriting leaning, I guess you could say, sort of like your case studies. They want to see like more marketing type writing or something like that, which that's not what I do for fun because, mm -hmm. you know, to me, the entertainment stuff is a little more fun than that. Not that, you know, I would not have fun writing about podcasts and marketing podcasts and that sort of thing. But it's just one of those things I haven't done because it hasn't sort of fallen in line with any of the sites that I've been writing for. And, you know, the upside to freelancing is you can really pick and choose what you work on, too. And right. you aren't sort of assigned too many things. And that's why I mentioned earlier, I like writing for Hidden Remote because it's like, yes, there's a structure to the website, but they don't dictate what you have to write about. There are certain rules that you have to follow. Like you can't just pluck images from anywhere. They have, you know, access to Getty images and you have to get access through the press websites for the channels and everything. So there is that, which the editors typically have access to all of that stuff. And any of the writers have access to Getty images through WordPress. So it's mm -hmm. not the end of the world if you have to ask an editor to pull images for you because you don't have direct access. Right. No, and for sure. I mean, just the freedom to like choose who you work with. I think that makes the work much more enjoyable for both parties. There's definitely like the downsides to it too. Like you can be as busy as you want or not busy as you want. And there definitely are dry spells to where there might be a time in the year where nobody's looking for to hire a freelancer. And then there might be times where everyone's looking <laughs> to hire a freelancer. So if you're, if you're open to that, like you get the flexibility for sure. Yeah. And because you have that Apple job sort of as a, I don't want to necessarily say a backup plan because it's obviously mm -hmm. something that you do need at the moment because you don't have the ability to do freelancing full time. And I know that is mm -hmm. your goal, but it's one of those things where, you know, you'll hear these stories about how people just 
not necessarily overnight, but very quickly went from having a full-time job to just being a freelancer. And it doesn't really happen like that for everyone. And I know you mentioned you were at the Sean West conference, and we Mm -hmm. definitely will talk about his recent book, Overlap, more since you and I both listened to the audiobook version of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly, it seems like people are typically saying don't quit your day job until you can Mm -hmm. quit your day job. But then it's almost like you're having two full day jobs at the same time (laughs) before you can quit your day job. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that's not ideal either necessarily, because who wants to really be working 80 hours a week? And I know there are people who do that, whether it's just for their day job, or if it's for their day job and what they're doing on the side. And for me, I didn't quit my job thinking I was going to do freelance full time. I quit my job thinking I was going to move back to Orange County and find another job, (laughs) which, you know, is something that didn't happen as planned, obviously. And I'm not trying to, you know, make this all about not me not having a job anyway, because I'm sure everyone is still very tired of hearing about that. I'm very tired of having to say it if it makes any of the listeners feel any better. But for you, you are really working towards that point where you can do design and branding and that stuff for a living and not have to depend on these part-time to full-time jobs to Mm -hmm. sustain your way of living. And, you know, you being in Ohio, that's probably somewhat easier to do than someone like me who is in California, just because of the fact that, you know, your rent is probably like half of what a two bedroom place in California would be to rent. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if half is the exact ratio there, but Mm -hmm. it's significantly cheaper than being somewhere like LA. And you still have the luxury of being I want to say close enough to a big city to sort of draw in clients from there as well. Yeah. I mean, I think location um, can sometimes be either a pro or a con. Yeah. Um, And definitely depending on the lifestyle that you want to live, if you want to live in California and pay expensive rent, or that's just where you were born, like you have the, you can make the decision to leave or stay, but you, I mean, you have a pretty good situation right now. um, I think because you are still living at your parents, right? So it's like having yeah. that. I think there are some people that they're in the position to where they want to freelance and they are either living at home or they're living at a place that the rent's very cheap because they have roommates that it just it makes sense for them to experiment and see like they have the flexibility and like maybe the finances that it's not going to hurt if they don't get a ton of jobs right at once. So I think it's important to see what works for you. Yeah. And not put yourself in a position to where you're you're like you're approaching that point where you need to pay your bills or pay your rent. And you're like, I have to take on like five jobs right now. Like you don't want to be at that point to where you have the scarcity mindset of like how you're going to pay your rent. So that's why I think it's important to work somewhere part time or have like guaranteed freelance work, like maybe work with the same client month after month, like work on a retainer basis might be a really good uh, option for some people. Yeah. And to, go into some of the downsides though you know if you don't set clear rules on sort of when you are available like you don't want people calling you at midnight for something (laughs) necessarily or you know in the middle of the night because for what you and i do 
for the most part, that can be done during your typical day job hours. And for mm -hmm. you, design, because you're doing that on your own and not necessarily needing to email people or, you know, respond to writers and that sort of thing you have a little bit more flexibility of when you can work. It's not like I'm going to go send out press releases at 10 PM, but you can mm -hmm. be working on a design at 10 PM. You just need to make it clear, you know, like when clients can contact you about the work and when you are going to be available to them because you don't want clients calling you like while you're in the middle of a shift at Apple and then being upset <laughs> that you didn't, you know, call them back right away or something like that. And you yeah. know, you also noted that your clients are your bosses. And I feel like that might be more true for you because, like I said, you are giving them a finished product, whereas for mm -hmm. me, it's strictly a service. So, you know, they can let me know what sites they want me to hit up, but they can't make those websites post just because I emailed them. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a different scenario there because... I don't have the power to just make someone post something because I emailed them. So, you know, the clients have to sort of have that understanding too. And like I mentioned, I'm very upfront with them that results aren't guaranteed, but I can guarantee you that I will put in the work. And mm -hmm. I think for that purpose, you know, clients are a little more willing to sort of just check in instead of be like, well, can you do this, this and this and get it done by this time? Because they know that it's not just me that has to be available to make this work. The writers have to be available. They have to like the music. And there's mm -hmm. a lot more factors going into publicity in that sense. Right. So, I mean, you definitely have more customer, like a customer relationship than I feel like I do with my clients. Um, and really just based off the relationship you create, you can like, I, I just more or less said that because I feel like you can make them feel like they're your bosses because right. they are paying you. And typically a boss is somebody that pays you. Um, but I feel like if you have the same amount of respect and understanding for your client, it's going to be a much healthier relationship. So a boss would be, that's more of a technical term. And right. I feel like it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. In a way, I feel like publicity is more like a partnership because you mm -hmm. will go back and forth with your client, be like, hey, so-and-so wants to interview you. Let me get you in touch with them. And you're sort of a go-between, basically. You're yeah. not the person who is getting that end product done. Like I'm not the one interviewing the, the bands or premiering the songs or anything like that. I'm just the go-between. And for you, I feel like in a sense, they could feel more like bosses if there's a band out there where, you know, say they have someone who can draw fairly well and they come up with all these designs, but they don't have the illustrator or Photoshop skills to go into those applications and make their designs digital. So in a sense, you have customers or clients who might know what they want and sort of just mm -hmm. tell you what they want. And then you just have to deliver that end product that they already sort of have an idea of what they want it to look like. So in that way, they can feel more like a boss because it's like, hey, here's this. Can you just, you know, turn it into a shirt design or something like mm -hmm. that? Yeah, it's definitely a case by case basis, um, I think, especially in regards to being a service business or a, um, a product business. Yeah. And not to end this on, you know, 
downsides necessarily, but we do want to talk about getting paid, which at times mm -hmm. can be a downside because, you know, you don't always get paid on time. And typically freelance payment, if you are working with a company, will happen somewhere between 30 and 60 days, depending mm -hmm. on either the company's policy or what you set up with who you're working with. And we already touched on invoicing and everything like that and doing half up front, half at the end. But it seems like one of the big downsides is definitely companies being reluctant to pay in a timely manner. I recently saw on Twitter, I don't recall who it was or when it was, but there was someone who tweeted about being owed roughly $5,000 from mm. various companies for their freelance work. And I believe it was a writer. And I think just someone I followed happened to retweet it. So that's how I saw it. But mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you see that and you're like, are you serious? This person is out $5,000, which for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. That's a good chunk of money that you know they could be paying rent with and buying food with. And it's mm -hmm. like a lot of companies sort of don't necessarily treat their employees or contract and freelance employees well because they might just feel like they can get away with it. And I think, you know, it's probably going to start getting harder for companies to do that as freelance and remote work become a bigger part of day-to-day -day life at a company and there are companies that are strictly remote. So it's one of those mm -hmm. things where, you know, I think things are definitely going to start changing in regards to how people, especially freelance and contract workers, are getting paid because a lot more people are starting to work that way now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely become a lot more common in the, I mean, there's always been freelancers, there's always been contractors, but like it's more like anyone can become a freelancer now. Um, so it's great that there's services for billing and invoicing and um, maybe be, getting educated on how to become a freelancer um, and stay employed, like self-employed. Um, so I, was, I wanted to mention in regards to like the getting paid aspect and like what are some of the red flags of like who you do not want to work with. And I would say that if they're not willing to pay you up front or if they're not willing to have like some type of agreement, like a contract or I like what you mentioned earlier about the uh, deal memo. Yeah. I feel like if someone's like very opposed, like if they don't like the wording of something, that's fine. You can always call it something else. But at the end of the day, they have to be willing to like agree to your terms because they're the one needing you. You don't necessarily need them. Like you can decide to not work with them and work with somebody else that's willing to come under your process and agree to like your terms. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you want to work with people who are responsive too. like you don't want to be waiting a week or two just to get an email reply out of someone. And, you know, right. it's one of those things where it's sometimes hard to know what to do because you have to be in a position too to be able to say no to people sometimes. And for me, I typically say yes to the bands and artists who want to work with me because if they are, you know, paying attention enough to see what kind of music I have worked with in the past and everything like that, 
I feel like, you know, they've sort of put the work in to know what to expect out of me from the start, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have had every once in a while, you know, I recently had a hip hop artist contact me for the label and I was like, you know, this isn't quite my thing, but thank you for sending me the music and that sort of thing. So when I do say no to people, I'm not like, you know, rude about it and like, no, can't you see I don't work with hip hop artists or anything like that? Because I feel like right. even though my label isn't geared towards that music, that's still someone that you might want to connect with later on for a different reason or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even when I get emails from publicists about bands, you know, if it's a band that I'm not sure about, or, you know, it's one of those new genres that blends a bunch of other genres that I haven't really heard of, I'll give it a listen and, you know, I'll let them know, hey, this isn't really my thing, but thank you for sending it. And I don't want to have people feel like, you know, I don't appreciate or understand the work that they are putting in for these artists or anything like that. So I always try to, you know, be very courteous when I am saying no to people. And I feel like that's something people will also remember, too. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I try to be as respectful as possible, if, especially if I'm either not available or not I'm just not interested in the project or it's not like a typical client I would take on. Um, and I'll always try to recommend them to somebody else that I know is looking for that type of work or is available. So it never has to be like a very, it doesn't have to be like a nasty email. It can be just be like, Hey, um, I have, you don't even have to really tell them why you could just be like, this isn't typically the type of work I take on. Here's the best person I would recommend reaching out to. Yeah. And Sometimes I'll get emails from publicists th that ask, you know, would anyone on your staff be interested? And I'm just like, hey, it's just me. You know, I don't really have staff. So, you know, since it's not quite my thing, I'll have to pass on it. And to sort of continue talking about getting paid and everything like that before we, you know, try to round this out on a more positive note, you do want to make sure that if you are delivering a finished product that you are sure you are getting that final payment before you send that over because you don't want to send it over to someone and only end up being paid half of what you had agreed to. And, you know, for me, when I had an artist, I told them to only pay me that initial payment because I was like, hey, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm getting the results that, you know, would amount up to are initially agreed upon payment. So, you know, I felt that the work I did was as much work as I could do, but I didn't feel it was worth that initial price we had set. So you do have times where it's like, hey, you know, okay, this is what happened. So sort of forget mm -hmm. about that second payment. But if you are giving someone a design like you typically are, you don't want to just be like, oh, hey, you know, this didn't take me as long as I thought. So just forget about that second payment. Because for <laughs> a lot of freelance work, it doesn't necessarily matter how much time it takes you to do it. It's more the value that people are getting out of what you're giving them. Right. You're getting paid like regardless because like you're an expert in that field or you've been doing it for so long that you're able to do it quickly. So it's like they're paying you for one, the convenience of getting it done quickly and two, because you do it well. Um, and you've invested all that time into learning how to do it well, because especially for writing or designing, 
there's like years and years of work or schooling that's you've paid for or uh, put the time in to be able to do it. Yeah. And one of the other things you have on here is hire an accountant, which I would say yes to most people to do that. But for someone like Mm -hmm. myself who, one, doesn't mind numbers and two, has a mom who was in accounting and now is in payroll, you know, something like that would be an unnecessary expense when either, you know, her and I can work on that together or, you know, usually Mm -hmm. she'll just offer to do that as long as I send her a spreadsheet of like the label finances and expenses and stuff like that. So it's one of those things where if you are at a point where you feel like you need it or you feel like it's no longer something you can handle on your own, then, you know, absolutely hire someone, especially around tax time so that you can Mm -hmm. get your taxes done and make sure they're submitted correctly and everything like that. But even if you just have someone you check in with every quarter, probably, you know, like here are my quarterly earnings and, you know, you can sort of get a better idea of how much you will owe on taxes because freelancers have to sort of focus on that a lot more than someone who has it taken out of their check either weekly or every two weeks yeah exactly that's stuff you definitely don't like even if you just hire an accountant for like consulting yeah like hey this i'm early on in my freelancing career i want to make sure i'm not missing anything like what what do i need to be aware of who do i pay like my taxes to that type of thing because that was something i was really unclear on early on and thankfully i mean i wasn't well not thankfully but i wasn't making enough to where the government was going to like audit me. Right. But you definitely like there's expenses that you have. Like, so I can expense what I pay Adobe for creative cloud every month right. at the end of the year and not have that money be taxed. Um, if there's any money I've invested personally from like money I've earned at Apple and I want to invest in buying like, a, I don't know, like a better computer. I mean, I could say on my, um, when submitting taxes that I spent this much of my personal money on a business computer and then like that's what I would ask an accountant or a CPA about because I don't know the logistics of how that works you know yeah absolutely and like I said I do want to try to end this out on more of a positive note because I know payment isn't the most thrilling conversation to have but it's definitely one you need to have Mm -hmm. so why don't we go ahead and just briefly talk about what we're working on right now so people can sort of have an idea of what we have going on in regards to freelance work? So right now, I actually have a page on my website that kind of goes over what I'm doing. Okay. Um, it's called a now page. And that's something I would recommend everyone having if they want to. Um, so basically, Derek Sivers, he started CD Baby. He created this thing where you have a list of what you're working on on your website. Um, and you can say like when it's last been updated, just so like if somebody doesn't know you too well and they're just curious like what you're working on, they can just go to this page and get like a, a general idea. But I'm actually getting into band management. So I'm managing this band called Wise Words from Dayton, Ohio. And I'm also helping them create content. So I'll go to shows with them to take like photo and video. Uh, so they have more like marketing materials. But I'm really wanting to experiment and get better at like managing a band because I feel like that will one, help them grow their audience, and then I can help other artists grow their audience based on what I learn uh, from band management. Um, and I'm also working with a band called Cinema Century, who they're from They're from Dayton as well as Los Angeles. Okay. And I'm doing, like, photo and video for them as well. 
Yeah, and that now page is definitely something I will link to so everyone can check that out and sort of see what a good format for that looks like. And for me, I mentioned, you know, I have a couple of clients that I know I will be working with, but those projects haven't Mm -hmm. been announced just yet. So I will sort of leave that on the back burner for now. But I am currently working on that label release, which will already be out by the time everyone's listening to this. So if you want to check out the Elephant Jake split, I'll have a link to that from my label. And as far as PR goes, I am still in the process of working with this band Emerson. They're sort of a pop rock band and they started working with me after their release. So it's one of those things where it's not quite the usual PR I'm doing. I'm sort of trying to help them out with some other things and look into Spotify playlists and that sort of thing. And Matthew Molnix is someone who hit me up through Misaligned. Like I mentioned, he's that artist. And he will be sending me songs shortly to start getting that going there. And those are the only two things I really have going on right now. So I think that wraps this up. Ian, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We went a little longer than I think we initially Mm -hmm. intended to, but I think that's totally fine because the conversation went really well. But again, thank you so much for coming on so we could finally get out our thoughts on this. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.